Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Writers Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 400 writers on the show, so go back and check the archives. I'm sure you'll find more creators and more shows that you're interested in. I'm a writer myself, having written with my partner Ben Acker for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, FX's Cassius and Clay, among others. We've also written comics from Marvel, Image, Dynamite, and more. We created a show called The Thrilling Adventure Hour. Maybe you'd like it. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com for more info. Let me know who you want to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. Like the color, only more so. Uh, And follow me on Tumblr at writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. It always makes me feel good about myself. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! You know him, uh, probably you don't know him from his own show. This was many years ago. Almost, we'll talk about it, called The Mike O'Malley Show. Uh, he's also a playwright. He uh, was the star of uh, Yes, Dear. He uh, was on the show Glee. Did you see him on Glee? Great on that. Uh, he's written for Shameless, and he's the creator of Survivor's Remorse. Welcome, Mike O'Malley, please. Hi, Mike. I'm going to ask you one quick question so the listeners know which voice is yours. All right. This is... Um, Okay, sorry. So we know you from all of these things as an actor, as a writer, extremely talented. Thank you. Um, Who is your all-time favorite Red Sox player? Fred Lynn. Why? Uh, Because he was the center fielder when I fell in love with baseball Mm -hmm. at eight years old, uh, (laughs) 1975. He was the uh, Major League MVP that year, 1975, and Rookie of the Year. Really? Yes. So Fred Lynn. All right. Good answer. Thanks, Ben. Please give him a round of applause. Thank you. Our next guest uh, came up through the ranks on Crossing Jordan, Heroes. He's written for uh, CSI, Daredevil. He's the co-creator of WGN's hit Underground. Uh, Please welcome Joe Pokaski. Thank you for being here, Joe. Thank you. That's quite a list of credits. And I didn't even name, uh, you've also written comics for Marvel. Yeah. Um, Pick up your microphone, please. Yes. Um, (laughs) Let me ask you this. Who's your favorite Marvel superhero, or your favorite Marvel character to write or read? Oh, man. Yeah. I have a soft spot for Ben Grimm of the Fantastic Four. The Thing. The Thing. Why is that... Um, I feel like he's always been underserved. I feel like the Fantastic Four has always been the Reed Richard show. <laughs> and this is the guy who's always the muscle, always saves everybody. And then Reed will do some stupid formula. So it, it was fun because I got to write uh, the ultimate Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. And I tried to slip in this thing where Sue kisses Ben and they end up together and they let me get away with it. So nice. I like Ben. That's great. Good answer. Please give Joe a round of applause. You have seen my next guest's face on Mad TV, as well as dozens of other programs. Uh, she's also written for Raising Hope and The Millers, as well as a number of her own pilots. Please welcome Stephanie Weir. 
Hi, Stephanie. Hello. You, Hello. you were lauded rightfully on Mad TV for playing all kinds of outsized characters, mm-hmm. uh, some of which were impressions. I think two. <laughs> sure. Are there? I'm, what I'm curious to hear about are there characters that got away? Are there things you didn't get to do that were not right at the time for whatever reason, or, or you just couldn't get on the air? I have one sketch that I kept reintroducing every season that they would never do about a vet that um, um, pe- pe- kept trying to p- push um, new pets on them. It was always a rat, but she would try to pull it off as a... <laughs> it's so funny, right? Um, uh, but she would say, like, no, no, this is a puppy. This is a puppy. And... Um, <laughs> And then I think what ruined it is that at the end, the real vet came out, and then I would scurry through a hole in the wall. So I, I was a giant rat trying to get my babies home. That's great. Thank you. Um, that Love was it. it. That's Fantastic. my big regret. Please give Stephanie a round of applause. Uh, and finally, uh, he was both a toy wrangler and writer on Robot Chicken, um, and he has a uh, he wrote a movie called Hell and Back, and he also has a terrific new pilot called Transylvania. Please welcome Hugh Sturbikov. Hello, Hugh. Hi. Yes, that's me. Robot Chicken. Thanks for not just saying and then that guy. Who who do you think is the funniest uh, comic book character? Funniest combo character. It depends who's writing them. But, uh, I mean, I, She-Hulk, when he's, she's written well. When, when for you has she been written well? John Byrne. Sure. You know, that was the funniest. But, I mean, she's not funny in the hands of almost anybody else, you know? Are there, what about characters who are unintentionally funny? Can, <laughs> be, can be made funny. Well, I mean, Deadpool's very funny as well. Um, oh, you mean as far as, like, Robot Chicken? Is that what... We're making a connection. Listen, we're just talking about uh, superheroes. <laughs> the pressure, these lights. I'm very tense. Um, Do you want me to turn them down a little bit? Uh, no, no, this is good. The pressure. It's like, you know, what's that uh, Captain Picard thing? There are four lights. Am I getting that wrong? Nobody's laughing. Holy no. cow. All right, so. Uh, well, here at Nerdist, that's the wrong yeah. crowd. Wrong crowd. Uh, the most unintentionally funny character from comic books. No pressure, by the way. Um, We'll cut the, out this pause. No, no, no. I'm going to get it. You wait. You wait. You wait. Hold on a second. Uh, um, never mind. The answer is <laughs> The answer is Batman. No, wait. I'll come back. I'll, I'll give it a second. What's the answer? Batman. No, I would say it's actually Sinestro on our See, show. I knew, yes. we, I knew we'd get it up. Yeah, there we go. We got it. Sorry. <laughs> Pressure. Next is that a Green Lantern up. villain? Yes. The guy with... Uh, Why is he so funny? I mean, have you seen him? Do you know what he looks like? He's funny looking, sure. Yeah. Well, that's all you need sometimes. Fair enough. Yeah. Guys, let's get into it. Sure. Thank you for being here. Uh, let's Thank talk you. about Let's talk about development. We're going to jump right in. Um, God. At least two of you had pilots, uh, have pilots currently in contention at networks. Yes. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about the pitching process and the selling process and then what this past you know, six months have brought for you? I had a full head of hair. <laughs> oh, please. Oh, um, let's see. The pitching process. Um, I think, uh, from what I've been told, is going in to, to pitch a show, I might have a slight advantage because I can perform the characters as they do them, which, you know, is, I, I, I guess not everybody uh, does it that way. And so... Um, 
And so I always kind of, uh, you know, treat it as like a, a little show, mm-hmm. um, preparing a short little show. Um, how, how short? How tight are your pitches? Uh, it's like, you know, 15, 20 minutes if it's yeah. long-winded. And... Um, uh, probably more information than than I need when I when I go in, um, and oh gosh, it, it, you know it's a stressful thing, kind of carting yourself around town, and and then you know showing up to do the, you know your your number, and then you get bored of your own jokes, and the people that you've brought along are already bored of laughing on cue, but they always kind of do, and so you try to switch it up, and you know, um, sometimes it works, and sometimes it it doesn't, and then in the elevator ride down, you'll get the look of like what what was that one thing you added? I don't remember that from the the original pitch. Um, so anyway, that was that's kind of been. My process, um, and this was you were you sold a multicam. I sold a multicam to CBS. Um, yeah, kind of based on some of, mm-hmm. you know family personalities. Uh, takes place in Texas. Um, yeah, uh, and can you tell us what happened once CBS? You knew CBS was the home. I did. Uh, they bu- they bought it, mm-hmm. and I felt like yeah, this is really where I want it to be. So I didn't have to. I didn't go around anywhere else, That's which great. was a, a terrific. Yeah. It's it's sometimes what it boils down to is like oh gosh, I don't have to pick out any more clothes <laughs> to uh, to cart this around. Um, so yeah, they sold it there, and then we just kind of um, went through the regular routine of you know your first you know the outline and the um, uh, the. Story, you know, the whole story area, and then you, you know, write the script. Uh, I sold another pilot with Greg Garcia to ABC, and the wonderful thing about that is he doesn't do outlines, which I, really? yeah, and he let them know right away, like, well, we, we don't, I don't do outlines, but we'll, we'll get a script to you soon. And that went over, and I, I'm not brave enough <laughs> to try that yet, but I look forward to the day. Is, I mean, the outline, it makes sense that they want the outline. They want to know what's coming, and they want to be able to note that. Yeah, I think it, it, it does make sense. It's a good, for sure a good roadmap, but I don't know, um, I don't know, I'm really torn about that sometimes, because the end product often is very, very different, and you don't, in the, you know, when I'm writing a script, I feel like sometimes you stumble on things that are outside of the outline that you only find when you're writing the script, so sometimes it feels like an extra step, and plus there's always a lot of notes, and there's always a lot of questions and concerns that can kind of derail you, and uh, it's just a, a complicated process. It's not my favorite thing, honestly. No, it's hard. It, it is It's really hard. hard. And I'm curious to hear, mm-hmm. Mike, you can speak about this too, having sold comedies to networks, but about keeping keeping the humor alive, keeping the comedy alive. And, you know, the thing that tends to happen is execs or whomever will hear a joke, and it won't be as funny the next time, but it's still a good joke, right? Mm-hmm. So can you guys talk about keeping that comedy alive throughout the development process? Well, I think Stephanie's right and when she says that, you know, being an actor, uh, being able to go in and pitch lines and jokes and perform them really definitely helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think one of the most important things to refine is the idea of where the conflict is going to be. And I think it took me a very long time to learn that and be reminded that when you are pitching a story whether it's comedic or dramatic, that you need conflict. It's almost like it's an argument in every scene that somebody emotionally wants something very, very, very much wants that thing, and something is coming up against them, you know, and it's what is it in their behavior that prevents them from getting that? It sounds so basic, but I've, you know, been doing it for a long time and only really in this last job that I've been doing have really refined that to understand that that's what it always comes back to is what is the conflict what does the character want what, but really what is the argument in the scene 
I mean, that's an interesting thing. Both of you guys are performers as well as writers. And, you know, I feel like as, as comedy people, we tend to get excited about the premise or the character when, in fact, plot, conflict is so important. Did you run into anything like this or did you have that baked in from the beginning, Stephanie? Um, you know, I was... In developing, I've run into that many times mm-hmm. where you, I feel like, I really want to do a show that, and I still believe this, that definitely you need a conflict within in the show, but like that your characters don't need to change, especially in a multicam. Those shows are the ones that I keep going back to, the ones where really there's no big change at the end. So just really defining the characters, I think, is what hooks hooks you in. Um, and I think of the, the Everybody Loves Raymond pilot and that scene where he get, sent them the fruit. <laughs> and it's it was so telling. And I think that it's my favorite scene in that pilot. But it didn't really forward a ton of the, the story yeah. there. It was a detail for them that I'm so glad they left in. It's very much about the character. It, it is, totally We, we should say, for those of you who don't know, do you want to just talk about what that scene is? Oh, oh, for from people who hasn't seen it. From everyone, lo- is it everyone or everybody? Everybody loves it. Everybody, everybody. I get it wrong all the time. It is everybody, and it's my favorite show. Um, <laughs> but he's uh, so that, in that particular scene, they got a, a, a box of fruit from Raymond, and the mother is just thrown by how much fruit there is. Like we can't possibly eat all this fruit, and what are we going to do with this fruit? And 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 so she doesn't interpret it as a gift; it was a burden. And so they have that discussion where he was like, "This is supposed to be a good thing. What was I going to get you?" And then the kid is it comes every month and her mind explodes of like what am I going to do with this fruit every month and it was a very very funny scene but the pilot was about Deborah's birthday and uh, and she didn't want them all coming over um, so anyway I, there there is that fine line of really wanting to develop your characters and then still getting those notes of like but wait what's what's happening um, here but that's a good illustration of that like mm-hmm. just you know if you went back to the basics of it it's like I want to get something for my mother what should I get her some fruit I get her fruit isn't this great she doesn't want the fruit, or it's a burden to her. Now you have a conflict. How can you? What are you talking about? It's a burden. Give it away. Make a pie. Do whatever. Whatever the. Anyway, I love talking about Phil Rosenthal's shows. I mean, this is a guy who just if you go and I've I you know read his books. This is a guy who knows how to get into a family conflict. You know, and and his shows are textbook. You know, they're really really good. And he's so adept at making the small things big. I mean, that's the perfect mm-hmm. example. And uh, emotional, right? Yeah. So people really care about it. Absolutely. Um, and one thing I encountered in this process was uh, there was a detail about one of the character descriptions that I threw in at the very last minute because it was one of those details that you he, that this guy had an uncanny resemblance to Matthew McConaughey because it takes place in Longview, Texas, and that's where Matthew McConaughey is from, even though he won't claim them, and they're constantly <laughs> like, no, you belong to us. And um, But anyway, it was this detail that I knew would be interesting to people when they read it, but I thought I'll lose that somewhere along the way because it's very sketchy and it you know kind of felt that way but um then people got really attached to it and uh it kind of kept staying and so it's weird what you put in to sell the script and what you put in to engage people and then how it can end up biting you in the butt later on and then it, it did end up kind of being a bit of a dilemma for us because we had to cut all of that out and sure. uh to make the character real there was great stuff in the script though what does he call it the triple affirmative, affirmative. The, the triple, triple affirmative. affirmative okay okay all right all right all right. Uh, yes. Yeah, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, yeah. <laughs> man. Um, all right, let's jump over to you, Hugh, uh, and talk about your uh, pitching and development process. Now, you have been a comedy guy 
and and the pilot that you have in contention at CW is sort of an action packed hour long. There's great comedy in it, uh, yes. I should say. But there's yes. but it's an it's an action drama. Well, what got me the attention uh, got the CW interested in me was another script mm-hmm. that I had written. It was a drama. I've kind of like. I, I've sort of gotten into comedies through my friends. I usually generally write drama and action, and I've sold and developed a lot of it, but nothing had ever gotten anywhere. So I got known for things that I'd done with my friends, these comedies. But I had another script that was a drama that got around. The CW saw it. They brought me in, and they wanted to develop with me. And that's how I got into the situation with Transylvania, mm-hmm. which is my new pilot. And then that other script that they liked sold right as I was about to pitch Transylvania, which took a lot of pressure off my shoulders. It was completely unexpected. Um, it took, took a lot of pressure off my shoulders because I didn't have to go into this room with my entire life riding on it, just half my life. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, so I had a little bit of heat off that first script. My agent said, give me seven ideas. I gave them seven ideas. They picked Transylvania out of the pile. I started developing it with it, uh, started developing it. They brought me some producers. They developed them more. And then you start picking up people. It's like a train, you know? Once I literally was like Transylvania. And then I said it to my agents, and now I've got them. And then I've got, uh, you know, then I've got these producers. And everybody just keeps hopping on. And everybody walks to the front and goes, you know how you should really ride this train? And so you're just trying to survive with your idea intact until I get to the network. And then they're like, we're going to crash this train right here and start over. And then you start out, and it just becomes this, you're just trying to survive. Uh, clearly, my more experienced friends here have, are more experienced than it. But it's to this day, I mean, we, lo- or we locked the first version of the picture yesterday. It's going to go to Les Moonves, I think, tomorrow. And I'm sure he's going to crash the train all over again. You know, and I'm just trying to get, um, I'm trying to survive until the upfronts and, and uh, you know, don't no sudden movements. Don't nobody get near me. There's electricity going through my veins. But yeah, somehow we got here, and it's been a sacrifice at every step, every single step. And you, like you said, you just try to keep a few things intact, a few victories. Well, I was really lucky because they've been extremely supportive of the script from the beginning. I walked in there. The idea was very obvious. It's it's Gotham with Transylvania. It's you walk into Transylvania. At the beginning, nobody's heard of the Wolfman. Nobody's heard of Frankenstein. Frankenstein is this young student at the nearby school. Nobody's heard of Dracula, and we're just going to do it the way Gotham has done it. And so you walk into these executives sitting in front of you, and it feels like this with these lights. And as soon as you say it, they get it. And then it becomes this process of, you know, do they want me to do it my way? Mm-hmm. And I've been very, very lucky in that regard. They asked me what the tone was. I said, Raiders of the Lost Ark. They were like, that's exactly what we want. I gave them it. They were like, that's exactly what we wanted. And we're here to this day with everybody having, although there were a lot of fights, everybody fought to get that on the screen. So I'm very lucky in that regard. That's a good feeling. What I was curious about, and reading the script, it does feel like it has this great Raiders feel where it's just, it's a moving train. Mm -hmm. Um, And it doesn't feel like there's any extra baggage on it. It doesn't have a lot of the usual sort of network note feeling things. Did you run into that? And did you just have the right team who could help you, you stay know, on track or, or say no to those things? The, what's really hilarious is the network notes were among the best notes we got. And they often saved me from other, other influences that had taken us off 
the track that I wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I was lucky because I, I said what I wanted. They said they wanted that. And it was funny because when they got the first draft, they were so excited. And they said, oh, my God, the tone was exactly what we wanted it to be. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what I told you it was going to be. Then I realized, that was the first time I realized that, holy cow, as difficult as it is for us on this side of the table, they're sitting there just crossing their fingers that, you know, when I say Transylvania is going to be this, that I bring it to them. And it's their careers, it's their money, it's all these things. It's their development season. And they took a risk on me. I mean, like, Kevin uh, Williamson and Greg Berlanti also have pilots this year. And, you know, those guys sit across from the table. They trust them. But me, they're like, all right, we're going to take a gamble on you. And I gave them what they wanted. They were so relieved. So point being, they were my biggest allies in this. So um, it's been great. That's really good to hear. Well, good luck. Uh, Thank you. We we hope it all works out for both of you guys. I want to go back uh, and have a similar conversation about Underground Mm -hmm. and how this show came together. This was a, a very different track, I think. Um, so it's a comedy, right? It's a comedy about <laughs> runaway slaves. Um, uh, you know, it, it goes back to actually all the way back to Heroes. Um, in season four, um, we brought on a new writer. Her name was Misha Green, and she, spoiler alert, she's a genius. But I met her, and I was told, like, you're going to be writing a script with the new girl. And uh, as these guys know... Um, when you write something with another writer, most likely you hate the person by the end of the process. <laughs> There's always an argument about a comma, and you go home, and you argue, you tell your wife she doesn't know what she's doing. But this was quite the opposite experience. She's a, she's a genius writer. We had so much fun. We made the script better. Um, so when Heroes ended, we had breakfast, and she was like, all right, so what are we doing next? I had this idea. We should do a show about the Underground Railroad. And I remember driving home being like, oh, that's really sweet, but obviously that's been done already. <laughs> Someone's obviously told this story, and we are just kind of amazed that nobody had. Yeah. So our, you know, we started just doing research, and it was just amazing. Just all the stories, many of which you know, made their way to the show, were to be told. And so we pitched it, because pitching is what writers should do. I mean, you <laughs> sit behind a computer, you, you know... You grew up dreaming to sit behind a computer and write for Ben Grimm, and then all of a sudden they tell you you have to be as talented as these guys, and that's completely unfair. Um, so we went around town and pitched it, and we got a lot of blank stares. We got a lot. Of, we, we said we want to we want to be bold. We want to put in contemporary music. We want to tell a story about not about the occupation which we've seen. We want to tell a story about the revolution which we hadn't seen. People are like, oh, that's so exciting. And then we get the call and be like, yeah, nobody nobody really wants to make the show. Nobody wants to take the chance. So Misha and at, I at that point. Let me interrupt for a second at that point did you have how much of the show did you guys know did you have characters did you have the plantation what 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 existed we had characters we had exactly what we wanted to do i think we were well on our way to what became a a 57 page bible about our first season and beyond um the one thing we didn't have was a script Mm -hmm. so we kind of had a come to jesus moment where like we need to write the script because we had talked this through so much we had all but written the script Mm And we sat down, and you know, we wrote we we wrote the whole entire story. We kind of were able to dictate the tone, and that just changed the, that changed the game for us. Mm-hmm. And so people were reading the script, and you know, we started getting oh, now I get what you're trying to so do. So it was sent back to the same people you had met already. Some of the same people, some of different people, right. and and someone who picked it up was Matt Chernis at WGN, and he got it, mm-hmm. and he was like, "This is great. We're trying to do different things." Um, 
he had a, a few actually really great suggestions. I can't believe that two of us are saying that networks give good notes. I really apologize <laughs> to all the writers out there. Uh, we're um, hearing it more and more, I'll tell you, in the past couple of years, honestly. Very thoughtful, some cool adjustments, and they got behind it. So, you know, we, we had a writer's room and wrote the next three scripts, which, you know, I think the first four turned out fantastic. And then we eventually got the green light. We were able to skip over the horrible, horrible process of shooting a pilot and then waiting for a month mm. and trying not to kill yourself. Yeah. Um, so we were able no, to I'm totally it. enjoying it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'm fine. And then we just shot all ten in Baton Rouge and we're able to kind of just like, again, let, let the train roll and, and every step along the way, and, and part of it's because Misha's such a genius and such a good partner, the, we were able to say, see, this is what we're trying to do. See, this is what we're trying to do. And even like notes we'd get on scripts sometimes we'd push back and the episodes would come back and we'd get really nice calls being like we get it you guys were right and and it turned out to be something to be proud of i hope for sure for sure um there must have been between the script and then those next scripts some discovery that went on i mean you get a room full of writers too you're going to discover things so what were some of those discoveries what changed for you and misha I think one of the bigger things is is the source material was so great. We'd be listening to these um, recordings by the Library of Congress in which um, people would talk about their lives as the slaves. Like, like Misha found a letter very early on in the process about a young girl debating to run or not to run, and that kind of cracked it open for us because I grew up a stupid kid in Boston who would read that little square in your social studies book, and it would say, some slaves ran away on the Underground Railroad. And I remember thinking, well, that's what I would have done, as if it was a really clear-cut answer, and it was really ignorant of me. Um, But kind of the more we read, you realized you'd be leaving your family behind. You didn't know anybody up north. You weren't even guaranteed that that there was freedom. It was just kind of a rumor. So what we discovered with everything, that it was the most heroic story ever told, and that it was kind of, the truth was greater than fiction. I mean, you think about something like the Hunger Games, we have to make up a world where the, where the odds are against you. This is American history. These are, these are heroes that haven't been celebrated. So Misha and I were both genre people who came from, you know, who went to Meltdown every Wednesday. You know, we were writing heroes. And so we we're like, this is the greatest superhero story ever told. And I think that's what we kind of found. That's really interesting. And, and it's coming across on screen. I want to talk a little bit about tone and stuff as we move on. Uh, but, Mike, can you tell us about Survivor's Remorse? You're going into the second season, well, right? Third season, third actually. Season. We, just finished, uh, we just finished shooting uh, the third season of the show. Survivor's Remorse is a show that's on stars. It's about a young basketball player who uh, gets his first big contract, kind of a grinder, wasn't somebody who was a, uh, somebody who was like a top draft pick, just had a really great... NCAA tournament and when his you know the hard way you know signed a minimum salary contract and then has a great playoff series and really comes into his own becomes a big basketball player signs a very big contract grew up poor in Dorchester which is uh, a neighborhood in Boston so this is a story about Cam Calloway and his his family he's a you know 25 year old guy who grew up poor and uh, it was inspired by an idea uh, from Maverick Carter and LeBron James uh, and their upbringing in Akron, Ohio. Uh, they got to know Tom Werner. Uh, Tom Werner was somebody that I had, of, of course, from Cosby and Roseanne, and you know, now he owns the Boston Red Sox, but he's done quite well on television. Uh, and he's a great guy, and I had written a pilot for him that didn't get picked up. Um, a couple of years back, I was after I finished doing, uh, or while I was doing Glee, uh, 
I was writing on Shameless. I really wanted to segue into writing more and really learning how to become a showrunner. Even though I'd written pilot scripts and done pilots and had written plays and, and a couple of screenplays, I really wanted to learn uh, how to be a showrunner. And John Wells was running that show. And I had an opportunity to go in and uh, do some punch-up on it. I did all right. He offered me a job. And you know, I had... I had three kids at that point, and, and uh, you know, really, you know, basically came on like as a staff writer, uh, and but I was able to do that while I was doing Glee at the same time. As a result of that, I, you know, I, I got a, a deal to write a couple uh, pilots for Warner Brothers, and that's when I met Tom Werner. Uh, he asked me, he introduced me to LeBron and Maverick, and he said they have this premise for this idea. Would you like to develop it? And uh, I did, and so yeah. So it was for Stars, and uh, and they're they're awesome. They're a great network. They they also give good notes. So yeah, it's they. You know they they're they're very particular about you know what they're doing, but they're very very supportive about uh, uh, you know filmmakers and writers and what they want to do. So when when you went in and had that first conversation, maybe with Tom, maybe with uh, LeBron and Maverick, what? Were you finding the story there? Like, did it present to you as a TV show? Well, I think that where the title comes from, Survivor's Remorse, is something that Maverick realized that he had grown up struggling and now was basically in, you know, was immensely successful, yet there were all these people that he still could help. So if they needed a loan or they needed something or they needed access to somebody, that it was just not endless the amount of people that he could help, but he found this push and pull because there are, there are people who obviously helped him be who he became, him and LeBron, uh, but they also, they were their own stories about, you know, going and grinding it out so that they could succeed. So uh, I think that this idea that's very understandable in American society where a young, poor athlete uh, suddenly, because of great talent and hard work, uh, is thrust into fame and fortune, and whether or not they can hold on to that, that's a story, obviously, we've seen a lot of documentaries about it, and I thought it was very interesting to sort of see the behind the scenes of a professional athlete, what what it's like for them. Yeah. And a guy who has a really big heart, which is the lead character. When when it came time to sit down and write that pilot, or, or uh, you know, you've done a couple of pilots over mm-hmm. the past few years, too. You know that's that's a big leap from being in the even being in the writers' room on Shameless to sitting there and yeah. cranking out your own thing. Right. Uh, how was that process for you? What did well, it look like? It, I think it's uh, and you guys can all probably all speak to this too. It's just the characters. You got to get the characters down. You got to figure out like who these people are and how they interact with one another. This is really a family story. It's not a it's not a show about like does the guy hit the game winning shot? You know, did they did the, does his teammate passed to him because it's 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 really just about family and so it was really figuring out what at the at the core each of these characters wanted that were in that family and making them distinctive enough uh and then refining that and refining it and refining it and refining it and you know tom werner has been created you know many many hit television shows and and he has incredible instincts and Maverick and LeBron are both really smart guys who know enough about that world and so I had great people involved with me who were helping me along it was also 
you know, when you're working with partners like that, I, they were, you know, they were on the train before I got on the train. So, you know, it was, uh, it, it's a great train to be on because, the, you know, people are willing to go with that opportunity because they're behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it's, it's, but it's really for, for me, I think it's figuring out the characters. What is it they want and how does that come against the other characters? It sounds so basic, but it's, it's this, the level of specificity, the level of work. I mean, to hear you say that you did a 57 page bio, it really is, you have to just think and think and think and think and think. And you really have to think about, I think, when you're writing a television show, you really have to think about why you want to be a writer. Like, what is it that you want to write about it? I'm, I'm very interested, and part of this is might just be my upbringing or what I'm interested in in, in stories that I see myself is like how do people, you know, live the right way, but they get themselves into you know the biggest jams because of their own humanity, and how do they get themselves out of that? And I think if you that so that's I know like that's what I'm interested in writing about as a writer, and so I try to create characters that are getting into those kinds of scrapes that I, as a you know, father of three and somebody who wants to keep my marriage intact, don't you know, do that. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing, and I think it's great advice for people who are writing spec pilots. What do you have to say? What are you interested in exploring? I, ben, I think it's the biggest thing for hiring staff writers. I think it's the biggest thing as a showrunner looking for people to write. What is, you hear it all the time, what's your point of view? A lot of people want to write for television, but they don't know why they want to be a writer. They don't know what they want to say. I'm not saying I I did when I first started either, but I think that the quicker that you can decide that or figure out, like, what is your philosophy? What do you think is right and what do you think is wrong? Then you can really argue against those things and this is just my point of view it's like that's when you talk about stories and it's fantastic because sometimes you surprise yourself you'll be in the middle of a story and you'll say oh i guess my values aren't here they're here so it's Mm -hmm. it's kind of free therapy sometimes (laughs) right right no but i mean it just sounds so basic but i think that's why audiences connect with it too they're like okay these people are having the kind of argument that i wish i could have uh but i can't because i don't want to get in an argument with my sister or my father or my mother you know but now i'm watching this and i i feel less alone because these people are arguing about something that i completely relate to it's a great point and i think it, you know, point of view is so important, and having passion about something is so important. Um, but you also bring up it's something you look for in a staff writer. Now, and Stephanie, I want to throw this to you for a sec. You know, you've written on staff. Uh, you know, we talked about the Millers for a second. Right. When you're writing on someone else's show, do you get to have your point of view? Do you get to explore the things you want to explore? You know, I've only written on two shows. They were both Greg Garcia shows. I had never been a staff writer. I'd been developing for years and mm-hmm. never had any experience in a writer's room, and I found it really intimidating. And so I was on Raising Hope, which was mostly a guy's room, and there, it was a big staff. And um, and I have to say, like, walking into it, it was a real education because uh, I had to... Um, my point of view wasn't that point of view. My sense of humor, I didn't feel like always landed there, but I had to uh, be in wholeheartedly to play the game that I was playing. Yeah. And so um, I, th- I, I think my point of view, eventually you earn points by supporting the team, and then eventually you get to score a few points of your own, and your own point of view 
pops its way in, you know, but you're not going to kick down, you know, walls. And then I feel like um, in the Millers, it was Greg brought me on to that show, having um, very little experience with me in Raising Hope, but apparently like, you know, some of my writing style, so it was starting to show through. And then, yeah, there were some strong women on that, on that show that I felt like, yeah, I, I can really get my point of view across there or... You know, and some, it's it's funny. Of course, it's not like writing for one person. It's like your sensibility and telling a joke or whatever. Um, but uh, it, it, I think what was more important is being a team player and doing what was being asked of you at the time. And just to add on to that point of view thing, I'm not saying like like if I have a point of view that I'm writing about or or think a lead character in Survivors or more should have that I'm bringing that necessarily to Shameless or whatever. Oh. It's just I, I need to know what how I feel about things. You also need to know this as an actor, how I feel about certain things so it can trigger a, a discussion about who would argue against that. I mean, that's really, it's, that's all that dialogue and fighting when you're doing family stories is how do you feel about something? How does somebody else feel about that? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's important. Um, Hugh, sort of the same question. I mean, you said left to your own devices. You'd be writing more action, drama, Stuff, but you again. You've been writing in comedy for some time. So where is where are you in that? Well, you know what? I'm I'm a Spielberg kid. I'm a George Lucas kid. That's I love comedy and action. Those are my. I find those are my favorite experiences. I'll walk out of a movie that I really love, The Godfather. I mean, it's an incredible film. But I'll walk out of something like Ant Man, and I'll have had more fun. <laughs> you know, and I like to have fun. Um, so that's what I keep gravitating towards. It's hard to find that kind of stuff on TV nowadays. I don't know if it's difficult or on the budget, the time constraints, if it's intimidating to try and pull that off week after week. I was so excited to see a Beverly Hills Cop TV show coming. And, I mean, my God, that was a dream for me to see that on television. I was desperate to write for it. And I, I don't really understand what happened in development, but it just didn't work. So, um, so yeah, I was kind of known for comedy, and it helped me going in to pitch these things. I also, like I said, I had a spec script. It was a very, very dramatic script with a lot of banter and comedy. They saw I could do it. They took a, a shot on me. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, people love Castle. People love these shows with drama and comedy. And I feel like a lot of shows miss opportunities to not mingle with the other, both ways. You know, and, and um, sitcoms are the, most, the best examples. I mean, uh, we, everybody loves funny shows, but the, the episodes you remember of the most classic shows, excuse me, are the ones that got into drama, that got into the real character moments, you know? Yeah. Even, even the Mary Tyler Moore, the, 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 probably the most, maybe the most beloved episode of any sitcom in history, they're stuck at a, a funeral and they're trying not to laugh, you know? And that's the perfect amalgam of, of drama and comedy. I think it's what people love to watch. Yeah, for love sure. Love to write. Uh, I want to talk about show running for a moment, and then we'll throw over to you guys for some questions. Um, Joe, what, what was the first show that you have run? This is it. This uh, is it? Underground, yeah. Perfect. That's perfect for my question. <laughs> You've worked on a number of shows. Mm-hmm. What have you taken with you from your experiences that you're applying as a showrunner? God, I mean, there's two categories, I guess, when, you're, when someone's running a show. It's, I would do that, and I would never do that, you know? <laughs> and I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of people to put it in the I would do that category. Right. I mean, I came up under Tim Crane, and, and, you know, I think I... I it was stupid enough, you know, starting as a staff writer, even starting as a, a PA on Crossing Jordan, 
to think that, oh, I can bring my own point of view. I can, I can go pitch stories to the showrunner two weeks in. And I was really just, my ignorance is my virtue in that case where, um, but he sat there and he listened to me and he, he let me have a shot. And so I think, you know, I learned a lot from Tim about you can't do this alone. So find great people, trust their ideas and let them run with it. Um, and then, you know, stupid things like I'd always insist on being in post. So I, I was doing a lot of the little tricks along the way and kind of doing a lot of the show running. But it was nice. One thing I've learned, you know, on Underground is find a great partner because it's just it's a gigantic job. Yeah. And so the fact that, like, Misha can be on set while I'm writing or the opposite or I can be a post and she can be in post and I can yeah. be a thing. It's 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 great because not only do you have two physical bodies, but you have a dialogue about everything. So you don't, you don't get to turn into someone who's running away with a stupid idea. Everything has to be washed through this. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to be like, what if we do this? Like, we've blown up scenes or thrown, you know, intercut scenes. And if it doesn't work, sometimes you, don't, you wouldn't admit it. I don't think I'd admit it if I was alone. But we can be in there, and it's like when I do something crazy stupid, and Misha will come in and say, that's fantastic, or the opposite. You're like, okay, this might work. And it kind of allowed us to make some bolder choices. There's a great vetting process, which yeah. you, I imagine you would hope you'd get from your writer's room, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. But there's also just the thing when you're, when you're peers, you can keep each other honest. Yeah. I mean, sometimes your writers want to keep their job, or sometimes you don't allow them to convince you otherwise. And I think you know, when you have an equal partnership, it allows you to just kind of keep, be a little more truthful. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, Mike, you're nodding through this. We haven't talked to anyone from the Wells camp in a couple of years now. Well, he, That must have been a crash course. Yeah, he's, uh, he's an incredible guy. He's an incredible boss. He's, obviously, there's a reason he's as successful as he's been with ER and Third Watch and Southland and the West Wing and and now his new show, Animal Kingdom, and of course, Shameless, which is going into its seventh season. John is relentless. He's absolutely relentless. He's a very fair, he's a very smart guy, loves writers, loves actors, loves the process of writing and breaking stories. I learned a lot, I learned everything from him, really. He, on Shameless, we would go in only three days a week, and we'd sit down for, uh, we'd start at one o'clock, no cell phones on in the room, and just talking for three hours. And people would have to come in with their story ideas. He really treats every writer or, or expects every writer to come in and note one another's outlines and scripts as if they're the executive producer showrunner. And so by the time a story gets approved, not a story gets approved, but a script goes to table at Shameless, you've been noted by uh, at least seven times, three times. The time, whole room. By right? the whole room, yeah. having to defend every single it's scene. What's process. the scene about? What? Uh, it's not a great process if you think it's great <laughs> and other people don't. It's a horrible process. I mean, as many times I was driving up Barn Boulevard, pounding my steering wheel, going, this is ridiculous. Or, you, you know, you, you, you've lost a whole weekend uh, you know, not playing with your kids, you're working on this story, and you get in on a on a you know Monday morning, and John's is like, "Sorry, we sent you in the wrong direction," and you're just like, "Yeah, yeah, that's the wrong direction." You know what I mean? That my kids are growing up, and I've just missed that. I missed out on that. Thank you. Thank you. That was the wrong direction. But but what I learned is is that he is just. He is relentless. He does not stop. He continues to refine and refine and refine and refine. He's, if you cannot defend it, uh, if you cannot explain yourself, if you get a note from another one of your fellow writers or from a network executive, 
they're bumping up against something. It's not clear to them, so you better make it clear. Uh, very, very fair guy, but um, also not afraid to tell people sorry. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the hardest part of show running is because knowing what it's like to be on the other side when you spent a week working on something and you think it's great and they say, you know, somebody looks like John, it's like, it's not, it's not great. It's, it's not even good right now. It's fair. We can help you. He's a big believer in team writing. Uh, to, to do that, but then want to get your own show and be like, okay, now I'm in charge. No one can give me any notes. And, and yet still take other people's ideas and, and also have that kind of um, relentlessness combined with understanding and compassion of where the, you know, the, the, the other writers are coming from, but yet understanding that you, know, you have this opportunity. It's got to be right. It's really hard to get the tone right. It's really hard to get a successful show, and you're in charge of that. That's, that's the difficulty. But, and just going um, to what Joe was saying is in terms of the finding people to write, you know, I was very lucky because not only did I have um, you know, especially Maverick Carter and, and Tom Werner in this process, but also Vic Levin, who had run Mad About You, uh, is is also an executive producer on the show. Is an incredible writer, an incredibly smart guy. He's run writers' rooms, you know, on big, pressure-filled, you know, network must-see TV sitcoms. Um, Blake Masters, another amazing writer. Uh, Ali Leroy, you know, guys who had run their own shows. And along with all of these great writers on staff who also are just bringing in their ideas. So, yes, the showrunner does get a lot of credit, but, you know, there are people that you need to have and say, look, this is, you can make your script better. You can make your idea better. I think, and I want to ask you guys one more question, then we'll we'll move over here. Uh, But as showrunners, it feels to me like a, a big part of the job is making the target very clear for your staff. So how do you do that? Well, I, I would always say on Survivor's Remorse that the, that the show is kind of about, you know, what's the sin that the main character is making? So what is the, you know, for me, and, and I don't mean sin in a, in a moral sense, I mean that well, I guess I do in some ways, but because I'm Irish Catholic. But um, I would say that there's a there's a thing that we we want happiness in our lives. We want, yet we are um, we are human beings, and so these things that we want, how do we get in our own way? And I would always come back to the writers and say, guys, what's what's the mistake the main character makes, not what society makes? So I'll give you an example. This is, there was an episode of Survivor's Remorse where the sister punches the brother in the face. Now, clearly, people should not be punching one another, but the guy was kind of asking for it. And uh, he literally was asking for it. He's like, go ahead, hit me. What are you going to do, hit me? And then she hits him. And the video gets out, and because he's a famous person, then all of these folks are like, well, I mean, should women not be you know, charged with you know, domestic abuse when they're hitting their brother? And, and it becomes this thing where it's a family situation. It, they wish that they, they could just make it go away, yet... This sister has to deal with her anger and understanding that she can't punch somebody in the face, regardless of whether or not. You know, so it, it's her own anger that got her in that mess. Um, I would just always say whenever anybody was pitching me a story on Survivor's Remorse was that what is the mistake that the main character makes, not something that happens to them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, everything he said, I think specific to Underground, we were always talking about surprise us. You know, we know these characters. We, we There are a few moments that I think we're proud of that, that the, it's informed but a surprise where a character does something that's unexpected at first, but about 20 seconds after, you're like, I should have seen that coming. And so I think it's about it's about being very high top level and saying, you know, like season one is about what kind of world are we going to leave our children? So everything we're looking at from all these different people with extremely different life experience are kind of moving the arc of history for their children on this very high level. But then in the scene, like, is this a scene I want to write? Is something I say a lot Mm -hmm. where, you know, conflict, like you said, these two people scenes are kind of my favorite scenes where there's two people you're both rooting for and you don't know who you want to win and they become these beautiful scenes. So it's just really about, we always tell our writers, just like put yourself in the audience. Like there's so much TV out there. Write the episode you would want to see, you would want to watch on the night of. And so I think that target of just entertain and surprise is something Misha and I always talk about. I want to add one thing on what you were just talking about. Like that took me a very long time to learn to is like write what you want to see on TV, what you want to see these vibrant arguments. And in terms of anyone who's writing out there, if you go through your scripts, look at your pilots, look at your scripts that you're writing. And when another character is asking another character a question, like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? You know, are, are you kidding? Like, that is the kind of thing, like helping the other character through the scene. If you can get, if you can get through a scene without anyone asking another character a question, <laughs> it's going to be a very vibrant scene, right? Because you think, oh, it's just people talking. Like, you know, what do you mean you weren't there when I asked you to be there? <laughs> There's, there's absolutely something, too, and this is sort of related, but that line-by-line check on your scenes yeah. where every line is not something we've heard before. Right. You know, even though it may be natural, make it something something new. And that's that relentlessness, like on Shameless, that they just, yeah. man, just getting hammered on it. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie uh, and Hugh, I want to ask you guys sort of a, you know, a similar question. You've worked on shows. What are you going to take with you? As showrunners, how are you going to run your rooms? Because you're both about to run rooms. I may be proven wrong by this when this <laughs> podcast actually comes out, but if I know anything, wow. um, I mean, Stephanie, God, what what do you <laughs> what do you I'm about to do with scanners up here? Boom! <laughs> what do you take from uh, Greg? Uh, who's, a, who's had a number of shows on the air. Uh, he, he's uh, great at building the camaraderie of, of the room, and he's a ch- clear leader. Whether whatever path he's on, right or wrong, you're going to follow him, and you're, and you're behind him. And, and, I, and I, I mean, like, you're, I think a leader is going to be wrong sometimes. It's just the nature of the, the, the beast. Um, so being sure-footed, I think, and being open to being wrong and having someone point out that you're wrong, I'm just absorbing as much as I can from these guys, <laughs> listening to what they say, trying to glean information from Greg, and organization is my biggest problem. I mean, my development process has gotten a little more streamlined, and now I kind of know which um, landmines to avoid, and I feel like until you run a show yourself, uh, it's really hard to answer that question. Um, what are what are the landmines for you? What have you discovered? Uh, oh my God! Uh, even when I'm writing a script, uh, it's a time management issue of how much time I will spend on the cold open. And after three days, you know, and you're like, "This is crazy! What have I done? I fucked myself." Um, and uh, so th- I think that's it. And delegating and surrounding yourself with people that you really trust and letting everybody do their job. That was uh, the experience on this pilot where 
I've, of course you're going to weigh in on the sets and you're going to weigh in on, on every, you know, wardrobe, every detail. But when I'm watching something, I rarely, rarely, unless it jumps out at me, you know, care about somebody's genes. So I'm just like, my point was just like, let them do their job. And if they like it, I like it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't quite, ma- it doesn't matter. My job is to make sure that the funny and the story and all of that is there. And I'm helping the actors uh, get that across. So those are, yeah, I- I'm just going to be uh, flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> I can't wait to see what happens. Uh, me either. <laughs> um, what I'm really excited about is to try to get these people to be fearless. I mean, because it took me, I, I spent a long time in my career being fearful and insecure, and it, took, it stopped me from so many opportunities, so many friendships, and it, it kept me from breaking in for a really long time. Um, and I really would love to get these people together. A friend of mine says, okay, open up your little umbrellas. We're going to have a brainstorm. And as silly as that sounds, I want these people to be able to say anything stupid, dumb, whatever. And the rest of the room, I, everybody's got to be receptive and supportive. And you don't, uh, even in even the process of making this pilot, there have been moments where it's like, oh, I have this idea, but I'm afraid to say it because it's going to upset this person. It's going to upset that person. could upset their ego. might not be right. And it's just this fearfulness um, that has crushed me my whole life, and I realize that now. Um, so I'm eager to get a bunch of talented people together, and let's, let's, let's embarrass ourselves together. You know, <laughs> Let's have fun and see what comes of it. I think that's really important what you were just saying about creating that kind of environment because you you find that it's in trying to refine your point of view you're you're always like ah that, I don't like that or I'm going to write about this or this is how I'm going to do it and then when you but when you get in a writer's room you've got to be able as a showrunner to be able to see the kernel of the idea that's really good you don't want to step on people so they don't bring up those ideas and it may be more than a kernel uh, you you want to create this room where people are building on the pitch before they dismiss it and, and training everybody else in the room to think that, you know? Mm-hmm. And trusting that, like, you brought these people in and hired them for a reason, let them bring what they're going to bring and accept what they're going to bring to the table. And, um, you know, just like an improv where you say yes a lot, hopefully yeah. I'll, I'll do that That's or I won't. That's a big deal. Right. Yeah. Uh, let me ask uh, you guys before we jump to questions. When staffing your rooms, when putting together rooms, and even I'll ask you guys when putting together this team of people, what are you looking for? What are you looking for in writers? Clearly, you're looking for good writing to start, but are there specifics to underground and survivor's remorse? I think we're. I mean, I think we're looking for people to be bold. I think you know, in the first three or four pages, whether somebody's trying to write a typical pilot or whether they're trying to change television. And every once in a while, you'll get a script, and it might not be 100 percent on the mark, mm-hmm. but there's someone who like. I'm, I'm, we're reading scripts right now, and it, I'm just fascinated with the idea of someone who just wants to entertain you to, when you're reading the script. Because it's hard. You have a stack of 100 scripts you're reading. If someone is getting me turning the page from page 5 to page 6, like, you've done it. Like, and it's not that I mean, and, and so it's just about being bold, being different, starting in a crazy way. And, and, again, taking a scene and being unexpected, that's kind of what we're looking for. Yeah, I think that on Survivors, you know, I'm oftentimes looking for... You know, people who don't necessarily have the same uh, point of view as, as me, I just want that sort of vibrancy in writing so that I know that they can attack an idea. Um, survivor's remorse is, you know, it's a lot about how we live now. And, and so people can't be uh, afraid 
to tackle those big ideas and, and try to find a way to fit them into the television show. And so y- you want writers who aren't afraid to um, be a little bit dangerous. And Stephanie and Hugh, I mean, we're in staffing season now, and you guys are presumably looking at scripts in anticipation because you have to hit the ground running if the show goes. I think I'm supposed to be. <laughs> what's important there's to a you? Part, there's a, uh, what's important, you know, uh, I, I feel like the surprise. See, anyone who can surprise you and make you laugh, I didn't see it going that way. I, you know, I didn't see that laugh coming or, or spinning a joke a certain way, and it still fits within the context of what the story you're telling. Surprise is everything. Um, I I don't um, I'm not sure. That's a good answer, uh, Hugh. Where am I? In? Well, the situation I'm in is that when we got picked up to pilot, I, I, for two years I went out for staffing. I didn't get a job. I came very close. A couple showrunners even emailed me and said we would have loved to have had you. Mm-hmm. Your script was great, but so my my show got picked up to go to pilot on a Friday night. On Monday morning, I got three emails from agents asking me, would I look at their client scripts? So what you're talking about is, on Monday morning, I was getting emails to hire people for jobs that on Friday morning, I couldn't get. So, um, yeah. So that's how I'm going into this. It's like, I want to find the me. I want to find the person who hasn't broken in. I want to I go find that, but, but it's not easy. And I don't know who these people are. I have a limited amount of time. The scripts are being vetted before they get to me. Even if I like somebody, i got to go sell them to somebody else. So uh, that's the macrocosm. On a, on a microcosm, if I'm picking up a script and I don't know this name, I would say if, I can't, if I'm at page 10, I can't close my eyes and know at least one character's name, what they want, who they are, I'm done. You know, that's the first thing. And then after that, I want personality. I want, I want to laugh. I want to be excited. And I want to see that they, I want to see, I want to see that they have a point of view, you know, exactly. And that's what I will be looking for. Yeah, that's um, great. Yeah. And then, and then what fi- what, what's amazing is you won't know until you get going with the show whether or not <laughs> what you're really looking for is when people say, I got a great idea. And you're like, nope. I got a great idea. Nope. I got a great idea. I'm like, nope. I got a great idea. Nope. You're looking for that person that after 15 is like, I got a great idea. Like that sort of resiliency. And that's exactly it. Because the 16th idea is often genius and the thing you need to crack through. And again, like you said, you're looking for you. I'm looking for someone who's thinking about my show at 1 a.m. when they should be tucking in their kids. 100%. 100%, That is the biggest thing. And I'm curious for you because I always compare it to professional athletics. I'm like, you're in the NBA now. You're writing for television. You need to go home. You need to, you know, you need to practice. You need to do whatever. It's like it feels like it's the best job in the world. So I think you're just expecting the world of the people who get to do it. Right. It's and it's you're working in a non-essential industry mm-hmm. where people don't really need what you're making until you create that need. It's just it's just a grind. <laughs> this, this leads me to my next question. No, man, that surprised me. It's this just, actually leads uh, me to my. It's next just question. no, but it's like you re- just realize like now everyone's like there's so much to you. It's like if you if it's not excellent, it's right. if it's not unbelievable, it, it you know it. Yeah. You just have to find. By the way, there's plenty of people who might not think Survivor's Remorse is unbelievable. I just have to find enough people who agree with me that it is, <laughs> and want to watch it such that we make money. Um, all right, I, I have one more question for you guys. But you all have questions, yes? If you do, please come stand over here so you can ask them into the microphone. Um, I will ask you to keep your questions brief. We have four terrific writers up here. 
Uh, we want to give them all a chance to talk. Keep your questions brief, uh, and I will hold my microphone up to you. Please don't touch the microphone. But first, I want to ask you guys, uh, and this, I ask this every once in a while, and it seems like a good opportunity, and we'll start with you, Mike. Do you like writing? Uh, yeah, no, I, I really do like writing. I, like, uh, I love actors. Uh, I, love, I love sitting at my... Um, Computer. I mean, I don't think there's anything better than when you really nail a scene or you really nail it. It's just you, you want to get people reading it like right away. Or, you know, it's like my wife. Hey, read this. She's like, I'm tired. I'm like, read this. You keep it. What do you think is putting this roof over this house right there? You know? uh, so it's it's thrilling, and um, uh, yeah, I love it. And and you know what? I love. I just I love writers. I love. The idea that people are trying to communicate and refine and figure out ideas and and uh, to anyone listening, I say because so many people are like I'm a writer. I know I probably shouldn't be. It's just like you know, write, write, write. You're a writer. The minute you decide, you say that you want to write, and don't ever apologize for it. Just keep refining your ideas. I love it. When you were in stand up before you really started doing uh, I didn't really do stand up. I just I was uh, I was you? a kids game show host. I did uh, a little bit of a few open mic nights, but no, I I feel like I used to see your name all yes, the time. Yes. No, well, uh, I have one of those faces. <laughs> uh, no, I have done a lot of MC charity work, so oh, okay. maybe that's people just assume that uh, yes, but no, stand up comedians work Far, far too hard, and I've, you know, I, I tried open mic nights a couple times. I was like, this, this kind of grind ain't, ain't right, for that's me. Fair. That's fair. Then disregard. Uh, Joe, do you like writing? I love it. I, I actually love every part of the television process. I mean, writing. I love editing, which makes me the biggest nerd. But I guess it's, someone explained it as the final rewrite, and I'm like, okay, I get it now, you know. But like, again, like the better thing than having a scene is watching it, you know, rehearsed for the first time, and you're like oh, wait, I'm not crazy. This is going to be yeah. good. And watching actors elevate it. The only part of my job that I don't like is what you guys are going through right now, the waiting. I hate waiting. I hate not working. It's the only part that sucks. Yeah, we hate what you guys are in right exactly. now, I, it the is, process. It and I just I'm going to go home and like be sleepless for you tonight. Don't, I, you know what? I'm the only person in the world who doesn't mind this stage. <laughs> really? Because, oh my, I don't feel compelled to look for work. I am just... That's nice. I'm kind of like, you know, if people ask, it's like, yeah, I'm waiting on this thing that's three weeks away. In the meantime, like, I'm swimming. And making homemade cloth napkins at home, and I don't feel guilty about it. Spending time with my family, so don't don't feel bad for me. This is like my limbo heaven. No, now I feel now I feel my bad limbo for myself. Heaven? Did you say my limbo heaven? My limbo heaven. I I might go to Hawaii. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm excited. What about when you're in? You are the process, my worst though. nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> as, as difficult and fri- and horrifying as. Every breath I'm taking is right now. You're sitting next to me, and just like you're living, you're surviving it somehow in a way. I, oh my god! I feel like Madeline Kahn in that moment in, in uh, Clue, like the flames, the flames. Like uh, this is, I, I can't even. I, I, I can't. I'm having a diabetic attack, and I'm not even diabetic. I, I um, go swimming. Oh. <laughs> All right, we're going to get these questions. To drown. 
Okay, my question is general and specific. So when you're going into pitch, do you kind of tailor it to the network? Like Transylvania, which I read and also I'm hoping to see, did you pitch it and then think, oh, it's the CW, so I kind of have to tone it to their product? That's what I'm saying. You absolutely have to. There's no question because these people are, are you're selling to them. You can't blindly go in a room and try and sell somebody a car. You need to know if they have a family. You need to know if they like fast cars, they like convertibles. If you walk in and randomly, blindly try to sell somebody a car, you're not going to be successful. But if you go in there and say, I know exactly who you are. I live and breathe your life. I've got this for you. I've made this baby for you. It's going to be hard. They're going to be much more eager to jump into your world and let you, like I said, take on that train. That's why Greg Berlanti and Kevin Williamson keep selling shows to them because they they know they have the simpatico. Um, I was at an advantage because... um, Again, that other script brought me in there, and the CW had specifically said they wanted to work with me, so I developed ideas specifically for them. So it was like an arranged marriage. They even brought me to producers who had had a show on the CW before. It was very much, we were all designed to work together, and that was the only way it was ever going to happen for me, you know, being a totally new person, to get a network, you know, show, and... um, uh, so I heavily, I strongly suggest all of you do that and take advantage of any little opportunity you have. Um, if you know somebody who works at you know, MTV, go home right now, develop a show for MTV, be very smart about it, figure out all the reasons MTV can't pass on this show. I mean, look at the CW, they look what they're known for and look what I brought them, you know? And I'm not saying it was rocket science, but clearly, you know, I, I loaded the deck as much as I possibly could. A lot of metaphors in there, mixing in like crazy, but you get the idea. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie, I'm curious. Your Texas pilot was yes. it always a multicam? I wanted to. I've wanted to do a multicam yeah. for a long time, and that's really the target I've been trying to hit. So yeah, I walked in knowing what networks I was going to go to and who, who uh, I wasn't going to waste their time. And it seems like CBS was kind of the only. I mean, the best home. It certainly. was. It was the best home, and. Um, yeah, and there are, there have been other multicams that I've pitched that I felt like ah this just I don't think this is for for CBS mm-hmm. and and wound up at ABC or whatever. So um, so yeah, you do you do kind of know and 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 mold it a little bit. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, I just had a quick question about representation. Early on in your careers, uh, when you first obtained representation, uh, did you approach someone? Did they approach you? And like, how did that come about? How did each of you uh, find your first reps? I had written a play that was done off Broadway in off off Broadway in uh, New York, and I had a, and the guy who directed it was a f- friends with somebody at Samuel French. He had um, he sent the play to him. The play got published, and. W- not that you would ever have heard of it, but when you have this published thing, it sort of confers a legitimacy on the project so that when you're handing it to people, people, and that's why a lot of people say, you know, write a book, try to write a book, get that thing going because it's better than having a spec idea because people respond to this published thing. Um, and they but, probably don't read it. <laughs> right, exactly. But I had, um, so that I, when I was acting, I always wanted, uh, you know, to be writing, writing for myself. When I, I had done some commercials that this uh, an agent at CAA had seen, and when I handed him the play, I was like, I want to do this also, and that's how I got my first lit agent. Joe, 
Yeah, I think I kind of backed into it the weird way. I, the only thing I know is I was an assistant first. So I was, um, I was getting coffee. I was getting lunches. I tried to do that as best I could. And then I finally got Tim Crane to a moment where I, I think I just had a really good week where I was doing a lot of cool stuff for him. And he thanked me. And I said, would you mind reading my CSI spec? And he did. And he, he gave me an episode of that season. And he said, I'm going to set you up with whoever I love at CAA, whoever I love at Endeavor, he, again, get the best boss in the world is, is the worst advice I can give. I think that's true. I also think that there's, that the people who make them, because so many people start off as, as, as PAs, the people who make themselves indispensable at work, not, not in a suck up way, but just always in a good mood, always, hey, you know, right away, I'll get that. They they stand out. I mean, they really do stand out. And when they finally do say, "Hey, take a look at this," or "Can I pitch on this story?" or "I got a story," you're you're apt to help them. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of assistants that ask me, like, they're like, "Well, I want to I want to walk up to the showrunner, but I'm not sure about bothering their time." And the best advice I've ever given, I think, is like, if you don't think you're worth it, there's no way they're going to think they're worth it. So it's just about. Making sure it's right, having the right moment, being confident, and being good at your job. Yeah. We do always hear on this, whatever job you have, do that the best you can. Don't say, but I'm a writer. Right. Do that job. Be the PA. Yeah, and you gotta, I think that you have to do that. If you're working 12 hours or 14 hours on that thing, then you get, you know, Saturdays and Sundays, you know, you can't, you're not going out. You know, you're, right. you're writing your script. You're not, you know, you can go out every once in a while, but you just got to grind. Because there's other people doing it that are just working way harder than you. Um, when I was on Mad TV, and it occurred to me, like, can I write scripts? And I t- turned them in, and then they started showing up in the packet, and then I started getting paid for it. And then an agent wants to represent you. Like, once you're earning money sure. for making scripts, so that was one way in. But to, uh, the, the first script that I wrote um, for development, I was in an ABC show as a, a, a supporting character, and uh, Sony was doing it, and um, the, everybody was enjoying this character. So I was doing a good job on this particular show that only lasted half a season, but I was like, I'm going to strike while the iron's hot, and I insisted that my, my agent, uh, my literary agent, I was like, I want you to send this script that I'd written, this spec, uh, over to, to Sony and um, have, the, have them read it or whatever, and, and he did, and I think because they were like, wait, that girl that's cracking those jokes over here, like, all right, I'll look at it, and then they ended up buying it, so I think that was kind of the million ways to skin a cat, million ways to get in there. I got an agent story that's going to blow your mind. Um, so I was with an agent for about eight years. Indulge me. It's only going to take one minute. I was been with an agent for about eight years, and I wrote the, uh, the other script that I keep talking about that broke me in. It was called Hunted. And I gave, uh, a friend of mine, uh, well, my wife, uh, was going to produce it with, with her friend, Mila Kunis. Um, so I was going to give up on screenwriting. I wrote a novel. I left, came back, wrote this script for them. And they were like, this is really good. And they started showing it to people, and people started saying, this is really good, this is really good. I brought it to my agent of eight years, and he dropped it. Uh, the TV agent, it's going to get better. The TV agent at this agency didn't want to take it out, so they dropped me. But a week later, I get an email from somebody who had been doing PR for my novel. And she had set up, you know, whatever, Hughes novel at Gmail, had only gotten one email to this day, and it was from CW executives saying, we Googled this guy, we got his script, bring him in here. So I get, this woman arranges a meeting for me with the CW, I sit in front of these executives, and they said that was the best pilot spec they'd read all year. So that's what led to this relationship. Here, it gets even better. That script eventually 
Um, my wife brought it. They had their representative at CAA. They brought me a list of showrunners that could get on to this show. And at the top of this list was a guy named Ed Bernero, who was just an incredible showrunner, over 200 hours of television produced. Ed Bernero, and I said, I even said, this guy, he's too good for this. He's not going to do this. He read it. He wanted on right away. I met with him. He was like, where have you been? And that's what people kept saying to me once the script got out there. Where have you been? Now, here's the best part. When Ed came onto this script, immediately got heat all over town. I got all these meetings. It turned out that the agent who dropped me had formerly been Ed's partner. (laughs) All that guy had to do was make one phone call to his former partner, somebody he couldn't possibly know better, and say, hey, will you read this script? It would have broken my career, and it would have gotten this huge showrunner who was newly available after 10 years on Criminal Minds, which, I don't know, top five shows. He was newly available. He wanted to jump on this. That guy didn't make that one call. He didn't believe in me. And because of it, I didn't believe in myself. So when I'm, I have two things to say about that. You're not looking for an agent. You're looking for a partner. There's no, good, there's no great, I'm, I'm representative William Morris, and that's not, I'm just saying. It doesn't matter if that person doesn't believe in you, isn't looking out for you, isn't fighting for you. And that said, if you don't have that person, you don't need that person. First of all, before you go to an agent, get your script really good, because they're only going to read you once. So, but if you've got that really good script, don't just go looking for agents. Look, ask anybody you know, do you know somebody, do you know somebody, because that script, a friend of mine gave it to Gersh, where I am now, they brought me in right away. They almost got me staffed out of nowhere, which was a miracle. I mean, I'm a 40-year-old, let's just say it, you know, a guy walking into these rooms, a white guy walking into these rooms, competing with people who have 10, 15 years' experience and the diversity chair that I can't get. And they almost got me. And then two years later, they've got me. I've got two pilots right now. So it's all a matter of asking around. Don't focus so much on agents. And don't trust them once you get them. (laughs) Great. Thanks. My my question is really going to be for Joe. I thought Misha was going to be here, but I want to congratulate both of you guys. She sends her love and apologizes. Oh, well. (laughs) Hopefully I get to meet her one day. Um, You have delivered really an action adventure instead of what people were expecting, which was like a solemn historical drama, and we really appreciate that. I want to let you know my my nephews, they're really young, and because of the music, it caught their attention, and what you're doing is working. I have uh, two questions, though. One is, I've noticed that historical figures like William Steele and Jeremiah Johnson have made appearances. Will we be seeing the new face on the $20 bill, Harriet Tubman, in any future episodes? We don't want to spoil or anything, but you cannot tell the story of the Justice League without Superman. Okay. Also, um, you said you are accepting scripts from freelance writers. <laughs> we are, uh, we are, are, are taking submissions through Sony Picture Television. I think they have their own Get process. your agent to send it. Uh, my question is for Hugh, as far as animation writing. Um, are there any challenges you know, versus what other kind of shows? It's the guys who write Robot Chicken who are my friends, and I've only been lucky enough to write for a couple episodes. I only write for the two Star Wars episodes because I'm such a Star Wars nerd. They are, they have a a strange genius. Um, Animation is so fast. I mean, compared to uh, any other kind of television, whether it's it, it, from Gilmore Girls to, I mean, the funniest sitcoms, animation is three times faster as far as the barrage of jokes. So um, that's the big challenge. The good thing is if you blow a joke, in five seconds there's going to be another one. But the, the bad thing is you've got to be so funny and so fast and always thinking, especially on a show like Robot Chicken, where they're inventing sketches from whole cloth every day. 
I'm blown away by those people. It's just incredible. So it's the speed and the, the tonnage of the work. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. I don't know did that answer your question at all, but yeah. Well, yeah. then the other thing, um, what about drama in animation? As I'm actually working on something specifically, so I was just curious, like an animated drama. You know, I would love to watch that, but it's a, you know, they always say it's, it's show business. I, I don't know if anybody, you need to bring somebody, something to somebody that they can make money with. Yeah. So if it's amazing, the right person will buy it. You look- exactly. We were just talking about Watership Down. We don't know if you ever saw that adaptation of the, of the book. Um, you can do it in movies, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's animated. Drama. It's animated. It was, a fe- it was you know, an animated feature, I believe, mm-hmm. w- about the rabbits. And it actually worked really well. I think if nobody's doing it, you should go full force at it. Yeah. Okay, yeah again, same thing I'm saying. Never be afraid. Yeah. Never let anybody tell you no. I mean, if you, you know, don't let anybody, people are going to roll their eyes, animated drama, that's all the more reason for you to go do it and knock it out of the park. And you'll get more attention that way. Well, we, you know, my kids started watching all those Miyazaki movies, which are very dramatic. So have you seen any of those? I have. No, and specifically I'm, I'm doing stop motion. That's why I think. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, that's all. I'm like, yeah. There was just that movie this year yeah. by um, the Charlie yeah, um, Kaufman. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. Yes, Which, exactly. the, again, he, nobody was doing it, and he found it, and it be, everyone loved it. And if nothing else, it's going to be a great sample. Right, exactly. A former Robot Chicken PA was nominated for an Academy Award for that movie. Really? She moved up the ranks, went over there, produced that, and was nominated for an Academy Award. I was wondering about uh, Hulu, Netflix, HBO Go. How do you get things submitted to them? I heard there's a third party, a website that you submitted to those companies? Is that... Have any of you sold to them? I, I've pitched to them or I've been involved in pitching to them. The, Netflix wants all the scripts in advance and they want talent and a director involved. Like, you have to... Pitching to network, Netflix is harder than anybody because it's where everybody wants to go right yeah. now. Um, yeah, well, Amazon's a different story. Amazon, I think, does... If you write in Amazon's, in Amazon's uh, uh, software then they'll automatically look at it. I don't know. I'm, I'm talking out of turn. But I know that through Amazon's website, I think you can submit things to them. Um, each of them have their own. It's, it's the same as the rest of Hollywood. Each of them have their own idiosyncratic thing. I, I think the best way to do it is still to try to get an agent. But And I know that sounds like, how do you get an agent if you don't have an agent? But I think what's really important is to keep making stuff, getting out of your house, meeting other people, taking classes, go to any of these places where there's classes and you meet other people who are not naysayers and want to make stuff, do stuff, work on stuff, make stuff, because then you can, because then you have something that's representative of your voice and that's that thing that people aren't going to read a script, but man, they will, they will take two minutes to, you know, look at this clip or something. And we'd be remiss. I mean, we're on hallowed ground right now. It's not impossible to self-publish a comic book. Mm-hmm. You know, think about the story you want to tell. I, I'm not a lazy person, but if I have a comic book and a script sitting in front of me, guess what I'm going to read first? And it also takes some of the guesswork out. You know, some people are, you can't read a script and imagine everything. They, they just don't necessarily have that skill. If you put a comic book, it takes a little bit of the fear away, and it's something they can pass on to their boss and say, this might be interesting. Yeah. 
Actually, one other thing you mentioned, taking classes. I took the professional program at UCLA, then I went into the master's program. I would still be there if, I, if they wouldn't kick me out. <laughs> Take as many classes as you can. I mean, seriously, even if you went to the point where you have more credits than the teacher, still go. You'll learn. You'll be around other people. You'll enjoy it, and you'll meet people. So definitely, everybody, sign up tonight. Take as many as you can. They're, it's amazing. Even listening to somebody else crash and burn is educational. Uh, yeah, I mean, networking is an ugly word, but being part of a community is valuable in many ways. Yes. That's what it's about. It's, it's being out there and, you know, working on somebody else. Hey, let's, uh, I'm going to work, your 10-page script, we're going to go shoot it mm-hmm. on iPhones. And I'm not, it's your, the only thing I'm going to do is be there to help you make your thing. And we'll get. You can always get actors. I mean, actors are dying to do stuff, and that's who you. You know, if you're not an actor yourself, that's what you want to, you know, align yourself with. Because actors, you know, there's plenty of actors who are who have agents who, you know, want to get submitted for something, and they need material, and they're, you know, that just go make stuff. That's the best advice. All right, last question. So you guys have talked a lot about what you're looking for when you're looking for staff writers, but what are you actually looking at? Are they original pilots? Are they specs of existing shows, stage plays? What is it? I I like to read plays, uh, personally. I I like original pilots. I like someone who can kind of craft within the medium because I I work so heavily in it. It's weird because once you hire someone, you hope they've written a few specs themselves, too, because you want them to be able to bend to some degree as to kind of your style, but also bring something new. I mean, if you can craft an original pilot that excites me and, again, keeps me turning past page 10, then that's it. Original pilots are what I'm reading. I'm going to hopefully review. Well, we'll see what they send me, but I'm going to be looking for things that are original but in my vein. In the same way I was saying, you've got to sell the right person. Somebody's hopefully crafted a pilot that's right for Transylvania, and I'll get sent it. Uh, but I can tell you, uh, it's, a lot of it's going to have to do with their presence in the room. I can't imagine that there's going to be a script that's going to want me to, that's going to get me to hire somebody without sitting down and talking to them and hearing what their story is, who they are. Um, what their experience is, what films they like, what films they don't. So be ready and be prepared for that, too. You're going to have to really just sell yourself to people and, have again, have a point of view. Well, I think that's a great point. It may, might be the most important thing about when you meet with people is you really have to go in there and get the job. And I know it, it can feel kind of weird. It's like, but you, you have to, you're going up against... I mean, you know, you're going up against actors who become writers and they just come in and you're, or you're going up against people who, who just really have thought about how do I get this job? I've watched all the episodes. I've read everything. This is what I'm thinking about. Here's 10 ideas for, you know, stories. Sometimes you can't talk about ideas because then the people have to say, I can't, I'm working on that idea. You can't pitch me ideas in the room. That might be a story next year or what have you. But you, you really have to think and prepare before you go in for a meeting, I know it sounds crazy. You can't be late. You'd be amazed at how many people are late for meetings. It's like you, you just you have to go win jobs. You really do. And that's no. exactly. I mean, I, I would come in with ten ideas. I always, I would always come in. You know, I remember meeting Drew Goddard before Daredevil. And I would just come in and just probably rambled too much, but I had read every book, made sure I understood the Bendis run, and we had a great conversation. You. you I'm going to sit as a showrunner in a room with Misha 
And we're going to look at someone, and they're either going to be someone who adds stress to our life or takes stress away. You want to be someone who will take stress away from the showrunner. I, and just to add to that, I would say have pitches even if you don't pitch them because it helps you internalize what yeah. the show is. Know the person you're going to speak with. Know what kind of what type of person they are. If they're aggressive, they're a sports fan. If they're a musical theater fan, whatever they are, you want to be prepared for it and know about it. And I'm not saying to um, to you know learn a new vocabulary so you can approach them. I'm saying, like, make sure you don't put your foot in your mouth, you don't insult them, and make sure they're a match for you, too. You're not wasting your time. Yeah. All good advice. Um, we touched on spec scripts a minute ago, uh, and Joe, you mentioned having written a CSI. Yeah. What was your CSI about? I'm always curious about what people's specs of uh, it, existing it, shows. It's are. funny. It was called "Porn: The Prince and the Popper," and it was about. <laughs> and it was about. Uh, it, was, it was so funny. I remember, it very almost became an episode of CSI, which is a little trivia. Um, we were in trouble. Um, it was during the porn convention. There was. It was back when there was videotape. Um, there was a safe cracking in which a sex tape was stolen, and then I think the B story is like two. Saudi princes were killed and they needed to figure out who was shot first for a line of secession. It was ridiculous. Correct. And it was probably the worst script I've ever written. No, but it was also probably one of the first. Yes, exactly. yeah. It was the first, yeah. Um, have uh, any of anyone else written specs of existing shows? I have not. Never? I have not written no? specs. I, I wrote a Star Trek way back in the day. I wrote a Gilmore Girls. I mean, I've written a lot of them. What They're was your practice. Gilmore Girls about? They are great practice. I, well, I, I do recommend it, even though people look at original stuff more and more often. One, I think the specs of, of existing shows are going to come back because I think that's a big part of the job is knowing that voice. Um, but it's also, if nothing else, great practice. You learn structure, yes. you learn voice. Uh, yeah. But what was your Gilmore Girls? It was called War and Pieces of Laundry. And uh, <laughs> this guy moved to town, and he was starting a, what appeared to be a church. He was opening a new shop, but he wouldn't tell anybody what it was. And everybody in town was freaking out. So Lorelai meets this guy and hits it off right away. He's an older guy. She brings him home to meet Emily and Richard, her parents, and it turns out this guy had had a relationship with uh, her mother years ago. And this is a guy who um, Emily left him for Lorelai's father, but afterwards this guy went to Lorelai's father's work and punched him out and left. And so this is set, sat with uh, Richard's, in Richard's heart all this time. That he, this guy humiliated him, and he's wanted to punch him back all this time. So all these things are going on, and, and Lorelai's torn because she's angry at her mother over this, that, you know, this is a great guy. So all of these things are going on, and it's a wonderful recipe for conflict. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Uh, let's end, as we always do, by asking what you guys are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are your rooms talking about? What are your families talking about? Mike, we'll start with you and just go down the line. Man, I, you know, I was I, I just got back from Atlanta and we just finished ten episodes. I, I really have been watching. What are you nothing. looking forward I'm, to watching? Um, I'm looking forward to catching up to uh, the last season of Mad Men. I'm looking forward to <laughs> catching up, uh, watching the first season of Game of Thrones. Um, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to. Um, I'm I'm really just looking forward to sleeping. Um, I, you know I. 
I got three little kids, man. It's 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 hard. They're not so little anymore. I'm gonna I'm gonna be watching all of Underground, and hopefully, um, that's a really Hugh and good answer. Hugh and Stephanie's uh, new pilots. Uh, I, I, what I'm gonna be doing is going to their writers' room and watching how they work. Uh, I'm excited to do that. Yeah, we all are. Joe, what are you watching these days? Um, I love season two of The Leftovers. I thought it was just kind of a masterpiece. I think it was fantastic, and I also. This is really weird, but there's a Danish political melodrama show called Borgen. If you can track it down, you should watch it. Was it was on PBS or something for a while. Yeah, they're running on PBS, so but like, there's but no streaming or anything. It's weird, yeah. so you have to like buy the DVDs, but it's well worth it. It's yeah, very yeah. different. For sure. Oh, I'm going to watch that. I, I'm behind, too. You know, small kids. Blame everything on them. Uh, I, finished, I just finished Girls. Love, love Girls. Uh, and Baskets. And uh, I think that's... Uh, anything that my husband's watching. Uh, that's what all. are your kids watching? Oh, uh, Maddie and Liv, Liv and oh, Maddie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah oh, there it's was. On, a, it's in, on in every hotel I've ever been in. Yeah. <laughs> they my, just they just finished Jesse, um, which I, I for my pilot I hired one of the the <laughs> villains from Jesse for the show because they were going to come. My kids were going to come to the taping, and I thought this is the only way they'll love me is if I. <laughs> That's hilarious. My daughter, my 13-year-old daughter, loves Pretty Little Liars, and all of her friends love Pretty Little Liars. Yeah, right? And they, yes, and man, you talk about binge-watching that, catching <laughs> up, like, they, they love that. Here. I've been a comic nerd my whole life, so all the comic book shows, no matter how good or bad they are, they're appointment television for me. Um, and then I've been studying the CW for a couple of years. I'm binge-watching everything they've got. I'm watching the 100 now. I really love it. Uh, I'm really impressed by that show, actually, the, the violence. It's so funny because a lot of what I'm dealing with is what, clearly what they dealt with. In the, in the pilot of that show, everybody's beautiful and panting fresh, <laughs> even though they're running around this marsh. And in episode two, they look like they're coming out of deliverance, you know, and it's the way it should be. Um, but, I mean, Breaking Bad, man, then all of these shows that j- weirdly just ended. I'm so riveted by it. Of course, we're going to all run home and see Game of Thrones tonight, so um, I'm right there with everybody else. I don't have any secret gems. Oh, Gilmore Girls is my secret gem. My fa- Probably my favorite show of all time. There's literally nobody on earth more excited about this revival than me. And I'm not, af- I'm not afraid to say it. I'm- Why is it your favorite show? The banter. It's like yeah. His Girl Friday. It's what I try to do in Transylvania. And the characters are so rich and honest. And you know what I... I mean, it's also what people got into with Buffy, and it's... Honestly, it's what breaks broke me through my other show is characters who can make mistakes but not look like idiots mm-hmm. they can get angry they can act irrationally emotionally like we all do I love none of those characters on that show is flawless none of them are unlovable it's it's wonderful but you're right the rat-a-tat too like I understand yes. I don't like jazz but I understand why people like jazz the way I like exactly, Gilmore Girls exactly <laughs> all good if, answers if you want to try and write banter make sure this character is really listening to the person mm-hmm. before them what did the person before them say? Like, you asked me about my favorite show, I'm going to say, my favorite show. But so often in shows, the characters aren't listening to each other. Somebody blindly wrote each of these lines, and Amy Sherman Palladino is probably the best dialogue writer alive. It's, a, it's, a, it's incredible. It's educational. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, when, did, when does show. that come back? When is that Netflix? Next uh, year, there's four 90-minute movies coming. I'm so excited. <laughs> me too. You yeah, want, man, you I'm going to have to audition for this show. Yeah. Man. You should. You'd be great on it, actually. I worked with Lauren before. She's unbelievable. She's fantastic. Well, I played her boyfriend in the pilot yeah. of Parenthood, um, and they made me wear like a, a, like a 100-pound suit. 
And I was worried because people were going to think, oh, my God, he's really just let himself go. <laughs> Things aren't going I was well. like 300 pounds. Like, and uh, she was amazing in it. Please give a round of applause to all of our panelists. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks to everyone here at Nerd Melt. Keep clapping for them. And to 826LA. Now leaving Nerdist.com.